This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast with your hosts, Brandon Spinner and Michael Burns. And welcome into another episode of Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. I, as always, am Brandon Spinner alongside my buddy, my pal, my friend, Michael Burns, who makes the second part of Barrels and Barrels. Mikey, how you doing tonight, my man? I am doing fantastic, Brandon. I am doing fantastic. I am excited for Happy today. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. That's right. Sweet shirt you got on there. Yeah, we. Uh, this is a one of a kind, um, but the one you're wearing is also a sweet shirt. And we dropped in a couple of podcasts earlier. We do have some shirts to sell. So if you want a shirt that Michael's wearing, if you're watching on YouTube, you can check that out. I guess we could post a picture on our story on Instagram and see if somebody wants to join in on that. Uh, reach out to us. We already had a couple of people reach out and order one. I know uh, Jonathan Roy. Uh, we've got um, Eric Munier, who's a, a good listener out in South Dakota. And uh, our one and only Ben. We also like to call him <laughs> at Bourbon in the Borough. It's the only Ben that we know that listens. But uh, at Bourbon in the Borough, he uh, generously bought a shirt. So big thank you to each and every one of you so far for all of your support. Uh, we always love to give out shout outs. Thank you to each and every one of you who continue to give your feedback. I know Lisa gave us some feedback uh, on a previous episode. So we want to bring you the best and the most like fun and enjoyable experience possible. Real quick, before we jump into the later portion of this episode, I do want to say, can you please give us a follow or a subscribe on YouTube? Just hit the subscribe button, and if you're not there, uh, head on over there. If you're listening in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you've chosen please review us and rate us give us your thoughts we'd love to hear what you think what we could do better what we do that you really like uh and we'll continue to try to get beat uh, better each and every week so with that said michael pretty exciting night on the way tonight i am i, I am very excited for this yeah so fun. for the for those of you who didn't read the text in this uh this podcast who, those of you that can't read the text below <laughs> brandon's gonna uh, spill it out below. for you We've got a first interview, uh, and it's one that I'm excited about. Um, it's going to be with the first distillery that we are talking with, uh, Stranahan's out of Denver, Colorado. They're solely single malt distillery, so this is not a bourbon podcast. This is a single malt podcast, and this is going to be the first single malt that we have on our podcast. Really excited. Uh, I've known Tyler for a while, and uh, it just happened to line up that uh, we are able to interview him. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome in a distiller from Stranahan's, Tyler Glasser. We are happy to have you here on Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. First of all, thank you so much for your time. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. First off, I am no longer a distiller, actually. I have been the last seven years, but I am I plant operations here, and I run kind of the planning and procurement. So I'm not technically a distiller, but um, I definitely have a heavy hand in a lot of the things down there. Uh, so, But you have distilled in the past, correct? Yes. Yeah. I've got about yeah, seven okay. years of distilling experience, but um, here I'm here. I'm in an office job. I'm not down on the floor running the stills right now. So, Okay. Well, uh, tell us your path. Like what led you to Stranahan's? I know you were in Chicago at one point, right? Yeah. So uh, sort of beginning, I guess. Um, you know, it's funny. I find a lot of people in this industry have like art degrees, have like different paths that like kind of just led us by wayward to getting to the spirits industry as a whole, you know, something more than just like bartending or like super like on the surface level. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's where a lot of us started. You know, I was, I was an arts, I have two art degrees and I was kind of out of between art jobs, bartending at a local neighborhood joint. And then we, my wife and I moved to Evanston, Illinois from another part of Chicago. And a uh, few spirits was a really great local bourbon rye distillery that was like three blocks away from our house. And so I kind of stumbled in one day and uh, started talking. Uh, it was my early 20s at the time. And then I kind of just started talking uh, to the tasting room manager and kind of like poked around. I'm like, hey, you guys ever hiring like distillers? I think it'd be really cool to like get your, get your hands wet and get in there and actually make the spirits. Um, and uh, they weren't at the time, but they offered to let me come like volunteer bottling and stuff. So I did that for yeah. six months almost and kind of like basically the door. Yeah, it totally did because I worked for free for a while, and then finally they were like, they did have a big expansion, and they doubled their distillation shifts and their and their bottling crew too. And so I was hired on. I was actually getting paid then to bottle for about a week, and then uh, <laughs> one of their head, one of the distillers ended up taking another job somewhere, and so oh wow, the director there of distilling, uh, um, Stephen was his name. He um. He approached me and was like, did you do you actually want to go do the production side? Because you mentioned that a lot in your interview, because I definitely went in the interview being like, I want to make this stuff like <laughs> I don't mind getting dirty and throwing grain in the, you know, um, doing all the work, filling the barrels, moving around. But um, so for one week, I was a bottler and then I immediately went into a system distiller. Like, so it was pretty good serendipitous like transition. I was like, oh, sweet. Like, exactly That's what awesome. I wanted to do. And um, it was a very small operation. Uh, there was only... Like we they we outputted a ton of volume, but it's only it was only three distillers and a head distiller. So there's oh, wow. basically like a one in four chance if you're drinking a few bourbon at you know nowadays. I, I personally distilled it because um, cool. uh, most of our stuff's about four to five years old, four to seven years old there, and I was you know there three four years ago. So all that stuff I was putting down for uh, over a course of five years, I was at few. Um, yeah, just learning learning the ins and outs of bourbon and rye um, to a very good level. Like you know, learning yeah. about yeast health and grain and how to you know um, sacrification and the super like uh, thermodynamics and chemistry of distilling. I was fascinated by that, so I'd take a lot of online like free uh, college chemistry courses and then thermodynamic courses just to really understand because a lot of the high level distillers around the country have like uh, chemical engineering degrees, and I don't have that. I have two art degrees, so I had to kind of like. I want to have the lingo, even if I don't have a, a master's in chemical engineering, but at least right. I can like talk with one of them and kind of know what they're saying. If they're talking about something like long chain, you know, carbohydrates and the whiskey lactones and stuff. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So I was at few spirits, Chicago for about five years. And then I kind of got a little, I got the itch to be creative again. And I, it was just a bourbon and rye factory when it comes down to it. It was really fun. But after yeah. a while, it's kind of a factory and I wanted to express myself. And so I ended up taking a head distiller job in little old Kalamazoo, Michigan at a place called Green Door Distilling Company to that gave me full creative control. So I got to like redesign their entire portfolio. I got to like put out an Amaro and put out my own like I love making gin. So I was really into developing an herbal gin. Um, I definitely did a few different whiskeys that are pretty cool. They're still in barrels, unfortunately. I left before we harvested those because I was only there for about two years. But um, so some whiskeys, did some source projects that were pretty cool, some barrel finishes, which is pretty common nowadays. I mean, how many times you get MGP products, vanity brands, you know, finishing mm-hmm. something in maple barrels or whatever barrels. And no one really cares that it's source juice. I mean, MGPs, that's the biggest 
distillery right. in the world. <laughs> so, um, so good chance most of the stuff that's on your bar is from MGP yeah. or similar. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I like, uh, but I still always like to be creative, even with the source projects that would use local stuff. Like we did um, bourbon finished in local cider barrels. That was pretty cool. Oh, kind of cool. had like a nice dry, I was all single origin, really dry cider, nothing sweet or anything, just something kind of give it like beautiful apple notes on the end, but no sweetness. And um, yeah, so I was there. And then we kind of, uh, my wife and I, we had a, you know, had a baby and decided we wanted to move a little closer to some support. So Denver is her, <laughs> her sure. family lives in Denver. So um, it was in the cards to maybe come back. And I love Colorado. I was, I, I lived yeah. here for five years when I went to school here. Um, and I couldn't wait to get back to the mountains. And I have tons of friends here too, from, you know, 10 years ago when I last lived here. So it was a really easy move back. Like, you know, we immediately, we moved back in June of this last year here. And, and it was, um, Stranahan's to get into Stranahan's that was just beautiful timing I finding head distiller gigs and, and anything of that caliber or have that you know even that pay scale or benefits are impossibly niche and small mm-hmm. and and so the fact that this plant operations job popped up and it was what I needed I needed like a, a stable work schedule not working the stills till one in the morning which I was doing yeah. in Chicago or Saturday nights from you know two to midnight this was like a nine to five benefits and I'm super entwined in the business. So I'm like way more in the business end now, a lot of long-term planning, a lot of procurement. Uh, I, I, I kind of bring in all the barrels for barrel finishing. I start those projects. I do a lot of the um, green, uh, green transfers. I do a lot of um, single barrel program i kind of in charge of a lot of that and we sell a lot of single mm. barrels we did like 700 something last month or last sorry, last last year 700 single I was barrels say last pounds. month wow oh wow <laughs> no no that'd be that'd be unmanageable this is like yes. 10 percent of my week is like single barrels that would be like 100 percent of the of everything um so i do so single barrel program. A chance <laughs> but um <laughs> that's a big thing i so i get to still walk the rack houses and kind of help select barrels or kind of uh, do that kind of stuff. And definitely when it comes to blends, like we'll probably talk about today, like the newest Snowflake release, yeah. that was um, definitely a round table discussion with me and a few of the other guys here, the production manager and uh, the where, well, warehouse manager and a couple other guys because our head distiller actually left. Yeah, last I was going to ask August. Owen, right? Yep, Owen Martin for Angel's Envy. And that's awesome. I'm so stoked for him. Like he's it's great. You know, the first distiller before him, Rob, left for to do Metallica's whiskey. And then oh, so okay. left yeah. to do Angels Envy. So you, you, it's a good springboard to go do your dream distilling job, I feel like, if you're getting yeah. that level here. But uh, regardless, we were wow. absence of a head distiller. So it was by committee we decided to do this this last blend here, at least the final tweaks. Owen had set right. the original blend, but then we, um, we kind of had to narrow it down. We had about 15 barrels picked out, and we had to take it down to 10. And then kind of blend those again, those 10. So it's a, it's a huge process. We could talk about that when we start tasting this and stuff. So with with the loss of Owen, like you guys are without a master distiller or head distiller. How are you guys handling that as a crew outside of the Snowflake project, like just day to day operations? Well, a lot of it, I mean, honestly, a lot of it, because I, I have that history of head distiller and kind of running it. So I, I definitely kind of dip you know, my hand in more than I probably should, but like, I'll, <laughs> I'll take charge. A lot of, it's honestly, it's a big company. So sometimes it's just, uh, 
you know, sometimes it, 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 there could be some finger pointing, some like, not me, not me, not me. Yeah. And so I don't mind, you know, I love doing it. So I'm like, me. Like, and so I like, you know, we got another sherry cask finish coming up that, you know, it's like, I told one of the distillers, like, we got to go pull samples of, you know, 10 of the barrels and we got to start seeing if it's going to work and how we have yeah. to tweak that final blend. And so me, I would say myself and the production manager, Anders, and um, the director of all op- of distilling operations, Pete Maka, who's head of like all of North American uh, mm-hmm. distilleries for Proximo. But I got to talk about Proximo too, but um, yeah, us three alone are kind of really heavy in those final decisions right now until we kind of pin down a head blender. They went with a head blender instead. They're changing the title a little bit, some of the roles. Yeah. But, um, it is missed. We all are working kind of way more than we probably normally would because of that. Like, but it's, it's all fun. You know, I'm passionate as hell. Like I, I'm always, you know, that's awesome. You can be in passionate something you're doing already. Yeah. We're at the holiday party and Pete Mac and my boss was like, uh, he's like to my wife, he's like, this guy doesn't shut the hell up about whiskey. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, cause I love it. I, I, you know, I'm fascinated. I'm a nerd. I, I, I love making it and I'm super into it. So it's, <laughs> and what, what I find awesome is this is a whole different type of whiskey than you were dealing with at few. Like you said, yeah. that was bourbon rye. This is all single malt. Um, it's and... all malt whiskey. It's all single malt. It's like we, we, it's really cool. I'm glad you brought that up because it is, I also thought it as a way to like round my career a little bit. I, when I initially got this job, even just seven months ago, you know, I think in back of my mind, I was like, Oh, this is a great way to like work this for a while and then start my own distillery someday. But like, kind of change gears and like i don't mind if i, I don't know if i'd mind to join the corporate world a little more just to kind of follow a different path like someone in my position two positions ago two two people ago is now vice president of templeton rye so like it really oh, does okay. open up yeah. that like the whole like you just learn the lingo you know i'm talking with corporate i'm talking with the not necessarily the owner of proximo but like you know his underlings and, and, and just it's um yeah, I'm in some high level meetings of million million dollar decisions, close to billion dollar decisions with stuff, and it's it's cool. It's really it's a different world than craft spirits. Um, <laughs> and there are so there are craft spirit problems. We're running out of warehouse space, and that's always an issue with barrels and stuff and production. Right now, we're doing about thirty six hundred fifty three gallon barrels a year, um, new fill thirty six hundred. Okay, to, you know probably eight hundred plus refills with stuff, sherry casks, tequila casks, rum casks, everything under the uh, I did our specialty uh, cask inventory, like a reconciliation a couple of months ago. We had like 800 different, not different barrels, but like 80 tequila, 40 in rum casks, some in oh, South wow. American rum casks, like maple barrels. Shit, we got like 40 of those. Like, I know that's a popular one right now, maple cask finish. We've got stuff that's been in maple barrels for four years. <laughs> like, so it's, it's cool. Um, there's a lot of, there's a giant pool of stuff to make blends from and to like make projects happen. And so it's not really intimidating. It's not, that's really great. It's not the difficult part isn't, um, you know, it's like, I'm not like I'm spinning MGP into something. I'm literally got such a great well of stock behind me. We've got uh, 20,000 barrels aging in inventory right now. Oh, wow. Wow. And so it's, it's great. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. We can talk about it later. I I, I, I got a really cool story about Owen Martin telling me something. 
Um, I guess, should we just go into that too? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's jump right into it. What did, what did Owen tell you? As much as I could from Owen before he left, because he's really super knowledgeable what he does, what he did here, and he's awesome, dude. The biggest thing that stuck with me was like, how do you approach these super complex snowflake blends? Because like, they're really, there are like 10 different finishes blended together to do like the, the 2023, for instance. And so he, what was really cool to think about is that he experiments, he chunks it out into like two or three that he know work together and then he'll build that out. So he doesn't see like 10 different casks. He'll do like, I know Sherry and tequila play well together because we did this little experimental project, you know, before. So he just sees, okay, we could use Sherry and tequila to get this flair, this level of flavor. Well, then I know rum works well with Cabernet barrels. So like he can layer that level on. And then it's from there, it's just a little bit of, um, it's just percentages. So, you know, do you want your base to feel more of like a rum cast, more of a wine cast, more of a this or that? And we can boost those notes of, you know, saccharine wine or boost those notes of, of whichever, you know, flavor profile base you're going for. And then again, it's just layering on chunks of things, you know, that work well. And I thought that was such a cool philosophy for managing really complex, like thinking of like compass box or someone like does like really cool blends uh the big one barrel craft spirits right now is doing really yep. interesting great blends i love seagrass and uh, you know some of yeah. those amita casts. we just did a great. vantage one the other day a vantage. couple weeks ago we had vantage that's cool i like their amitas the tomorrow i think their amitas cask and seagrass the mm -hmm. ones i've had maybe dovetail too but regardless that's really popular right now too that that idea of like blending really unique things yeah um so I think that that's a really cool philosophy that I was really the biggest thing I took away from Owen. I only worked with him for about two or three months before he left, but it was like, I was constantly bugging his ear, like trying to learn <laughs> yeah. every little tidbit of like my head blender at a major company, Henry Stiller, whatever you want to call it, Matt, whatever master it's all the terminologies. But, um, that was the coolest thing I took from him before he left was that like, don't think about. Don't think about the minute level. If something is really complicated, try to think about it like, you know, breaking it up to the next level. Like, do these two things work together with these two things? And then like, instead of one, 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 it was like, these two can go well with these three. There's five components that just made this blend really unique, but they, they all work together. So, so um, that's what would differ the snowflake from the rest of your regular line, like your original, your blue peak. And yeah. Yeah. None of those are, none of those are, um, blends at all they're all i mean they're all single malt they're all single malt whiskey but i'm saying they're all um you know i mean they're different blends of like ages obviously like like yeah. our yellow label is like a blend of like four to seven year old with different percentages of different years and like our blue blue peak is like a is a fooder kind of thing but it's also just a blend of like i think three to six like it's a little less but um snowflake is the one that has all the different finishes in it and, and we do do some, some experimental finishes, but that's like the big blend of uniqueness. You know, it's going for being a snowflake, being super unique, like one of a kind. So every right. year we do a different blend and it's generally pretty different. And then it's, it's really exciting to see those. Um, I've tasted the, probably the last like five or 10 years expressions and they're, they're all really cool in their own ways, but they're so different from each other. But it's all that yeah. same strand of hands going into the beginning, but it can just go so much, so many different directions with different ages coming into play. This year's Snowflake was an average age of about eight to 10 years. So it's like a little bit older too, which was nice. Um, yeah, nice. So yeah. And how long are those like in the uh, experimental casks outside of the eight years. to 10? 
years. Year, oh, years so, in those experimental yep. tasks. So, so basically about um, when I'm saying the base liquid for, oh, I think all of it was at least seven years primary aging. So new oak, new American oak. And then uh, about one to about one to three years in the finishing oaks in like the wine barrel or rum barrel yeah. or tequila cask. Um, As I read the tag here, it says an homage to the 25 iterations of Snowflake. Humboldt Peak showcases an array of favorite finishes while celebrating longevity and maturation. Starting with a nine-year base, our distillers have harmonized a collection of worldly cask finishes, including Cabernet Sauvignon. Did I say that right? Uh, Caribbean rum, Oloroso sherry, and the result reveals a vibrant red fruit note uh, with the natural nuttiness and genital oak backbone. So, yeah, that's interesting. You said ten different types of blends or finishes in this. Um, shoot, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. It was something like that. I think it was maybe eight eight different components, and there might have been like two barrels of one of two of them in there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was ten different barrels for sure, and then I think I think eight of them were unique, and then one of them might have been there might have been two rum barrels I think, and like two wine barrels in there, so it was not one of everything. But so this is the twenty fifth batch. Does that mean it's been twenty five years? Because I know the company's only been around. No, they've, since they've, four, they've, right? they've done a couple of years early on where they did like two or three in a okay. year, but well, as of. As of the last, I think, six or seven years, it's been one a year. But I think I want to say that the first few years they were um, multiple yeah, runs. Were, yeah, different. So this, for those of you just listening or trying to figure out what we're talking about, it's the Stranahan Snowflake. Uh, it's just a distillery only, right? Just at the distillery. Yeah, you got to wait in line. Some people started waiting over 48 hours in advance. It, um, it's a huge thing though. We do a big party for it. Like it's, you know, we got live music for 12 hour set walks of some of the days. We got like movies playing on the walls, like outside projection. This is winter too. It's Denver in December. Yeah. So it's not First like second you're, week you're, of December. you're in yeah. a park, uh, you know, drinking like a, you know, a coffee and whiskey or something out there. And it's, but it's a camaraderie thing. It's a, you know, it's a trial by fire. It's a you good get, time. It's a good time. You can tell story. Like no one really complains about it. They're, they're here. You know, they're, they're here to have fun and they have that lore behind it. Like, oh, I waited. I camped out for two days to get this bottle. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. how confident is that down in Kentucky for birthday bourbon or something? People will camp out for, you know, a day. Right. Or whatever. It's, that's the most exclusive release you can find, like, in Denver is the Stranahan Snowflake. So it's that's awesome. it brings it brings 3,000 people, you know, it's oh wow, it's crazy. And how many bottles did you guys have? Do you know? Off the top, uh, of, your head? top of my head. The bottle I have here says seventeen twenty-eight, so it's got to be more than that. It was how many? What's that? I, my, this says seventeen twenty-eight on it, so there's got to be more than that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It was, it was. I want to say we did thirty-six hundred bottles. Yeah, something like that. It was something like it's around four thousand, and then okay. we sold out at like three thousand some because we reserved like a couple hundred for just archive and like. Yeah. Uh, you can still come to the tasting room throughout the year and taste the snowflake expression, um, okay. but you can never buy it anymore. You can only buy it that one day. And uh, I I did attend, I did work snowflake and, you know, it was um, sold out within like three hours, basically. I think we started at 11 and it sold out by two. So I guess four hours, um, oh, wow. but it's, it is crazy. I was doing a little station. We had little activations along the line because we have a huge line queue once you start the, line, the bottle sales. And um, I was just handing out free pours of Snowflake, basically. Yeah. 
to thousands, you know, a couple thousand people just uh, hyping them up. You know, there was other stations mm-hmm. of trivia. You could win like, you know, stuff, shirts and stuff. That's cool. Um, but it's a big deal. We put a lot of effort into it and it's, it's realistically, I mean, we do $400,000 in sales in like three, three Oof. hours. Like it's insane. That's, so, well, that's probably a big moneymaker for the distillery itself too. It's, it's something um, like 30% of the yearly revenue is like snowflake, like one day. It's really big. <laughs> so that, it's crazy. Well, the, the bars open, you know, that whole time that the 48 hours yeah. people are camping, like they've got outdoor bar setups in the, in the parking, the patio area. And yeah, it's, oh, man, you just gotta look at videos of it. It's pretty cool. It's a whole festival, you know, we call it snowflake festival and it's, yeah, we'll have to find a link and toss it into the bio of this. You gotta um, come next year. Just well, that's that's definitely for sure. And have our own video of it. Um, now what yeah. I do want to ask you is you guys are the oldest and the biggest in Colorado regarding distilleries, right? Talk to me and Michael about like, Obviously, what makes whiskey different in Kentucky than in Tennessee is the climate, right? Denver and Colorado, way different climate than what you're seeing here in the Ohio River Valley. Mm-hmm. What do you see so far that it's done climate-wise, whiskey-wise, to the just even single malt itself or just in whiskey in general? Yeah, yeah. well, for sure you see a different, uh, you know, rapid aging is because of the hot uh, hot and dry. We're close to desert climate. You know, it's not quite, you know, it's not Southwest. Cause I got a buddy who runs a distillery whiskey Del Bach down in Tucson. And that's like angel share just crushes their barrels. Oh, I bet. But oh, like man. here we see, <laughs> um, I was doing a bunch of analysis on our 10 year old release and we were close to 62% angel share loss, which is pretty high. So you're looking at in 10 years, you know, less than half of the barrel in 10 years, which is, it's, it's pretty extreme. You'd, You'd probably get about 45% in Kentucky with that 10 year span. So it's, it's substantial. It's about 30% higher angel share loss um, than, than a humid hot, um, humid and hot is going to keep it in. It's going to jack your proof up a little bit. Um, right. Our proof's super stable um, with this hot and dry here because it's just evaporating. Um, it's taking out more alcohol, I think, than water too. So we, we don't see massive, hazmat you know elijah craig shit we just see we go in the barrel at 110 and we come out like 120 ish sometime one, hmm. 125 maybe but like i've never seen 130 many of the records or like any yeah. you know even 120 you know six or seven is unheard of so um you got a cast strength right next to me at 140 yeah, i was gonna say what kind of cast strengths do you put out is it just the single barrel program or do you have your own like cast strengths um well, I'm sorry. What was the question though? How? Um... Oh, so do you you guys have a cast strength bottle, or is it just the single barrels that come out as your cast? All strength? single barrels that we do for accounts are cast strength, and so there's all a variety if they depend. Uh, the one I made, I just one on my desk that I have a hand. Um, this one is only a four year old, four four point seven year old, um, and it was only at 114. So again, it only went up four proof in like four and a half, like almost five years. Um, oh, wow. This yeah, one's cool bad. though because it's for the Stanley Hotel. <laughs> Oh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, we can't sell incomplete cases uh, when we do do the single barrel bottling. So sometimes there's you know extras, and I was uh, like, Stanley Hotel so historic, and it came by as yeah. like right in like right in October, and I was like, oh man, I love The Shining, and I, I love mm-hmm. you know Estes Park, and so I, I definitely snagged that one for my desk. I was like, yeah, oh, I was gonna drip some like red wax down it or something, make it look kind of <laughs> spooky. Uh, yeah. Michael, you have any questions for Tyler? That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I'm just talking my ass off. So please, <laughs> you know, speak. It's your podcast. Like, 
Hey, no, we're happy to learn and talk. There's your which from what all you're saying, I, you know, there's so much more to distilling whiskey bourbon than than I could even pretend I know. <laughs> you know, and every time I made a jump, it's really like a different level of schooling. Like, you know, it was a few is like my, you know, college education almost. Then a master, you know, not master. I hate master distiller. I hate that term. Head distiller, production manager was my my title at, at in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that was a lesson in supply chain management. So that was like serious. And it was pandemic. So it was really yeah. difficult. But like, that was like, I'm truly on my own. I need grains, barrels, yeast. I need to troubleshoot if something goes wrong um and then coming here it's like well now i'm working with like multi-million dollars worth of stock and like of whiskey you know whiskey stocks and aging inventories and then i'm also in charge of tin cup too which is a major brand so mm -hmm. oh, yeah so that is also i guess i going back i, I didn't mention I, i'm i work for proxima spirits which is a parent company that owns stranahan's and tin cup they also own jose cuervo three olives vodka hanger one vodka um, Lactert distilling out of New York, uh, Bush Mills, like we're all over the world. But yeah. I just focused on Stranahan's because I live here in Stranahan's. It's called Proxima Distillers, Colorado. So I, mm -hmm. I, I work on Stranahan's and Tin Cup as my primary. And then I've got a couple other distilleries in North America that I also follow their production, track their stuff, uh, do procurement for them, um, you know, evaluations, yeah. reconciliations, a lot of inventory, a lot of data. Definitely, uh, you know, Pete Michael asked me, like, you know, what different, like, again, angel share loss percentages, like, what are we looking like? How can we hit our, our long-term goals for, say, 10-year-old Stranahan's? What do we look like in, like, 2028? 20, like, are we going to have enough stock to hit um, sales projections? So long-term planning is something that I'm really learning here because I've never, it's always been about short-term gains and craft spirits. Like, you're always like, yeah. how can we hit the market right now? And let's... You know what's the hottest finish we can get our hands on? Some Ambarana barrels or some whatever. And so it's it's definitely like you're playing against the vogue. You're playing against like what's popular as your craft spirits. You're trying to make, you're trying to maximize your sales almost to stay alive. And Proximo, like you know, Strand is so set. You're working on like how can I increase? How can my my sales increase five percent every year? Can we hit those with our you know what whiskey we put down five years ago? And like. You know, right. how many new products can we roll out? Like, you know, we're going to do, I think, a 12-year strain of hands next year as well. It's, and so we have to also plan for our 10-year, our 12-year. we got to have aging stock for, like, things like our Diamond Peak release and mm -hmm. our Snowflake. So, like, it's a lot of, like, moving the peas around and kind of figuring yeah. out where, where can I um, – can we hit these certain goals and stuff. And so that's that's that falls a lot on me, a lot of, uh, you know – my boss asked me today, like we have a sherry cast bottling coming up, like our corporate wants, you know, X amount of cases. Do we have the inventory to do that? And if we don't do, you know, we got to think about supplementing with a little bit of tweaking things here and there to get it. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the process of picking out the snowflake, right, you said this was 10 different barrels, right, uh, with different finishes. When do you start the planning process for 2023? Are you already in that? Do you know what the barrels we're are going to be? About it. We haven't. We're not talking <laughs> about the blend yet. We've got some ideas. Owen was super, like you know, helpful in like laying down groundwork and like guidelines for like 2023 and even some 2024 releases. So like, oh wow, we've got a recipe we can start with, and then it'll be on us to like actually execute it and improvise. Um, so, but we're. I mean, we're definitely talking a little bit about it already. January, what's fifth? Like, we're like, 
And this releases yeah. the first week of December. So we're talking yeah. about it now because I like uh, Owen's methodology was to basically get it all harvested at least six months in advance, blend it, and then put it back in the barrels to finish like the marrying. Oh, oh so it's all married together when you... It's all married wow. together. Okay. Yep. So, and then we're even tweaking the final finishes. So it was married together in like 12 or 14 barrels. And then we took those married barrels and picked out our 10 favorite from that to like weed it down. Mm. So it's, it's, it's multiple steps of blending, reblending and editing to get to that final blend. Um, and so that's um, something we start now. We're kind of, we're going to really shift focus to where we have a major event in the summer called Cast Thief. That is a, okay. it's a one, it's kind of like a summer snowflake, except for it's um, a bunch of micro releases. We do about six, I think it's six or eight specialty one-off cask finishes that are 375 bottles. Um, damn, I don't think I have any here right now. I was going to pull one up. Um, but um, yeah, so those are like the really cool micro release we do big party you can only buy them that day we only you know produce maybe like 200 of each expression like 200 bottles um but that mm -hmm. gives us the data to also do future blends like i was saying earlier like we had a like one of they, they do fun names like sherry garcia was one that was a sherry <laughs> slash tequila barrel blended together finish and um or there's like a weed of the moment was like a weeded bourbon barrel finish one and um they always think of fun puns for those but right now we have to start planning out that event that's in June. Um, we just got to start selecting from our specialty cask inventory, start blending some of them if we want to do some kind of complex compound ones. And um, yeah, so, so that, that's our focus right now. But in the back burner, we're talking Snowflake already. Just cast thief will definitely take priority until probably April. Hopefully by then we're kind of done with all that. And then we kind of really start hitting Snowflake because we want at least six months breathing time for it to blend and to kind of uh, get all in there. I think right when I started last year, the first week of June, um, Owen was coming up to me with preliminary snowflake blends. One was like, you know, had me tasting them and like giving him feedback. Yeah. And then he was like taking that. He was going to a few of us up here that we really know we know our stuff. And so he was he'd come to a, a, the expert tasters and be like, hey, how do you you know what do you think of this? How should I what should I do with it? Um, so yeah, by mid mid year we have to really be like getting it getting it set. So do you have like specific ba barrels that are in the warehouse that are like off hands? You know, like hey, we're not blending with these. These are off hands for long term plans that someone has. Um, you know, I think that's something that we we suffer from. We don't really have a lot of safeguards for that, and I think that could eventually bite us in the ass. Um, but it's. I don't know. It's, it's so exciting, you know, but at the same time, like, again, what I was saying, we have like finished projects that have been in there. I've got like maple casks that have been there for five years, like single oh, wow. that's been in the maple barrel for five years. Like, so like, it's almost like you don't know what to do with them too. There's like, yeah. we have to, we have a problem that we're so large that like, we can't, we can't just willy nilly buy like barrel finishes as much as we want to. Cause we've already had that phase. And now we have hundreds of barrels, but there, we don't have enough to do like a release. Like, so I think this is an important, just mentally that I learned recently. This is a note I took from our main, our director, Pete was that, you know, cause I was, I, I was getting all geeked out about these four square rum barrels that, that like broker just got in. Cause I get, I'm handling a lot of the barrel, barrel procurement. 
And I was like, oh, we need to get these. We need to get these. Like, hey, you know, we're talking like at least eight. And it's like, can I get more? Like, kind of like, and yeah. uh, he's like, well, we just have to look at our aging rum, you know, barrel inventory and look at our future planning and see like, is it sustainable? Like, if you like these four square rum barrel thing, you know, if it's really good, we want to be able to get a lot of them, like a hundred of them at least. So we can do a major, like a di- like a Diamond Peak release is about, it's about a hundred barrels. So right now we're doing, a, we're, we're planning our next Diamond Peak release, which is one of our more exclusive, you know, it's like a $80, $7,500, dollars bottle. It's uh, at least seven years old going into those secondary finishes. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we need about a hundred barrels on average to hit like a pretty good market target of, I think it's like 5,000 cases, physical, um, physical cases. So he comes to me and I'm like, I really want these four square rum barrels. You know, I'm, I'm saying that to him and he's like, well, you need to find out if it's sustainable. So like, can we grow this? Cause if it's a good, good thing, you can't just be like, Oh, this is really cool. But we only have three barrels of it. And that's it. Right. Like, Cause it, we'll, we'll generally t- try something out with like four barrels, eight, 10, whatever. But then we want to be able to know if we can order a hundred next time, because we want to be, maybe do this as a national release because diamond peak is a national release product. Yeah. So, um, that was a different mentality for me too. Cause I, but coming into it, I was like, really like, Oh, I want to get these great unique barrels. I don't care how many they are. If there's like one or two or five or whatever, but it's like, I'm at a level and I'm at a distillery now where it's like, no, we can't just be grabbing four barrels at a time. We need to like, at least we have to know that if those are really great, can we scale them up and can we get them for cheaper? Because we're going <laughs> to, you know, right. if so there's those yeah. barrels, is there like a barrel magazine that gets shipped to you and you, you read, you know, every, every, Oh, here's what we, you know, here's what's the latest and greatest. And <laughs> no, we have a, we have a procurement department above me as well. That works on it. Then I kind of work it on, on a micro level. Like I've got, I usually go through like Rocky mountain barrel company because they're local uh, Northeast barrel company. Some of these major barrel brokers around the country, they're the ones getting in those like fancy barrels. We got like 25 maple casts from Northeast, you know, a couple months ago. And we got some, uh, Oh, there's like a trendy Austrian oak barrel right now, like Takaji or something like that. We just got a few of those in. So how do you know uh, what's trendy? Like a, Is there like a secret whiskey, uh, you know, distillery society that you guys talk? Hey, here's what's going to be the hottest thing. You know, we're all going to hit the market kind of this. Or do you guys just kind of no. find what you what you like and you experiment on your own? I think I think the barrel brokers drive that more than people want to think. I think they okay. um, I think they get in you know, 25 distillery owners ears and go like, Hey, this is the next hottest barrel. You need this. You know, I, I think Ambarana wood is blowing up right now, which is like that South American mm-hmm. kind of really cinnamon forward, really interesting wood. Um, I think that there's certain things you're going to see a lot of. I saw like Fred Minnick's list had like two Ambarana barrels on there. And like, so that's a really unique finish. That's kind of coming up a different wood grain. It's really hard to work with. Um, like I hear, mm-hmm. you know, Guyana Oak is something that we, you hear a lot of, of Pacific Northwest people using uh, West Westland and um, Rogue and anyone in the Pacific Northwest is using uh Oregon Oak is Garyana Oak. Yeah. Um, uh, McCarthy's. Um, so I think it's, uh, I don't know. You're kind of playing, you're, you know, there's no, there's no crystal ball. You're just kind of hoping for what fits. And I think it's important to think about what fits your culture, your audience, your, your name, your, your brand. A you little know, bit. Like we, don't, we don't focus on some big peated release or anything. Like I think there's a lot of American single malt really has such a gambit right now. And it's so it's in its infancy. You know, the, right. the oldest a... American malt whiskey brand is, you know, is, is McCarthy's. And that was only in like the late 90s. So. 
Well, and that the TTB this summer just finally put out their like American single malt whiskey definition, right? Like, isn't that yeah. still in the works? That took that took over ten years to pass. That's talk about moving legislation, and <laughs> it's oh yeah, yeah, creep. So now that we have this, how does that help you guys? That I think that just gives definition like that is important because American malt whiskey in general suffered for so long being in the other category. Like in most yeah. American liquor stores, it would just be other. Uh, maybe it's pigeonholed next to Irish whiskey. Maybe yeah. it's by Scotch. You know, American whiskey in general is a new you know, another new category like blends. Are pretty yeah. new, but I think I think it suffered for for those so long. People, you know, stockists didn't want to carry as much of it because it's just you know it's not bourbon, it's not rye, it's not scotch. So it's it's you know what is it? You know, and I think giving it a definition is only going to lay the groundwork for it to to for more stores, more smaller stores. I mean, you know, like Total Wine and the major you know yeah. the major ABC liquor stores and this and that are gonna still gonna have American malt whiskey sections or this and that, but that's still a new thing too, that they've probably only just total wine probably had a section like that, like five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. But yeah, um, I think you're going to see mom and pops understanding what it is as a category. Um, and I think brands like Stranahan's and Westland and Balcones, mm-hmm. those, I feel like the three biggest right now, especially Balcones just getting acquired from uh, uh, Diageo. So, you know, you're going to see ad dollars behind Balcones mm-hmm. single all whiskey a lot. On um, Virginia uh, Distillery, Virginia, I think they yeah, yeah, I think it's their name gets thrown there a lot too. They're mm-hmm. also, but they they source a lot of their malt from Highlands, Scotland, I believe. But yeah, they uh, they do make their own stuff too. But I I feel for the longest time that was that was a, I was thrown off thinking they were making it all there, but they were sourcing from from Scotland. Okay, other stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm just saying I think we're gonna see more. It's only gonna help all of those guys more so be giving it a definition you know yeah you can you can compare an apple to apple you don't have to say mm-hmm. if you like bourbon you might like stranahan like, <laughs> right well and that's a great segue because we're going to jump into trying this the three of us you were, were kind enough to reach out and say hey uh, i might be able to get you a bottle of this so thank you for that stranahan snowflake so 47 percent alcohol by volume says so coming out to 94 proof um, for those of you listening, one thing I did want to ask you about the uniqueness of the bottle. Obviously there's a story behind that all the time. Right. But what's with the, the shot glass on the top? Like, do you guys have a story, a background on how that came about? Like, cause that's what sticks out the most when it's on the shelf to me. You know, I think that, I mean, I actually, you know, I don't know the history of that per se. I never asked that for the, 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 the cup, the steel cup. Yeah. But I think that harkens back to when Stranding Hands was, Wanted to be more of a Western kind of, co- we call it a cowboy whiskey, but like it wanted to be more mm-hmm. of that Western feel. And I feel like that, that accomplished that on some level, like that accomplished that kind of like wild West, you know, saloon yeah. kind of thing, like a teal, like you drink out of a tin cup kind of thing, which I can hear that from Rifleman right now. But, um, see it. yeah, I got them all over the place. It's like one of my drawer. Like, uh, <laughs> I got to procure these, you know, by the, tens and hundreds of thousands um but uh yeah that's definitely become part of our you know the whole facade the brand yeah 
Um, so I'm going to do my best Pat Hughes impression, uh, as we all know the Cubs, and describe the bottle. Uh, Stranahan's, it's a, um, it kind of looks like a scotch bottle, right? You would think it comes in a tube similar to those um, that you would normally see in the scotch or the Irish whiskey aisle. Uh, or for those bourbon drinkers, it's about the size of an E.H. Taylor tube. Uh, yeah. The white tube here with the mountains on it. Beautiful um, red lettering. It says Humboldt Peak, and that was the name of this release, correct? Yes. Yep. Yep. We name it after different uh, 14ers in Colorado. So this cool. was Humboldt. I think the previous ones were like uh, Mount Ellis, Quandary Peak, like major uh, 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado. That's awesome. Eventually we'll run so, out. There's only like 52 of them. So, <laughs> Well, you're halfway through <laughs> the 25. Yeah. Um, so sorry, did you guys taste it? You're just nosing it? No, no, no. Yeah, I've, we I've been nosing it. Um, so as I go with my Pat Hughes description, so the bottle, uh, white labels, obviously going along with the, the brand of Snowflake. Uh, looks just like every other Stranahan's bottle, except the extra um, at the bottom. I think you only have these on your single barrels, right? Not all of the bottles have that extra label at the bottom, right? Uh, yeah, so wrong. like our, um, like uh, I think I've got a distillery exclusive one. Like that usually are like our, our specialty bottles do have that bottom vertical label like that. Um, yeah. But it's actually, Wait, mine, mine doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah, really, mine doesn't have it. Is that an old sherry cask or Diamond Peak? Sherry. Oh, sherry, yeah. Yeah, it, we've got there's a label. I mean, there's label changes, tweaks all the time. So, so let's pop it open. You, you guys, well, Michael's poured his. Um, I'm, I'm sniffing gonna... it, nosing it. I try to go into the. I, I try not to look at like notes, like other notes of stuff if I haven't had it before. Yeah, try not to bias yourself. Yeah, that's what I want to right, say. Yeah. Again, so you guys are kind of trying it. Yeah, I I've had it a couple times. I had it last week Friday um, on a Bourbon Thieves Den call, and then I had it last night just so I had it fresh on the mind. As yeah. it came in, I mean, it, it, it definitely smells different than the typical whiskey that Americans are buying right now, right? Uh, you can definitely tell the difference between it not being a bourbon or a rye. It's got that malt to me. It, right. It, it doesn't it doesn't taste when I when I as a more bur bourbon focuser see single malt whiskey. I'm thinking scotch flavor, peaty. And I get none, none of that on the nose. Yeah, there's no, there's not gonna be any smoky barrels in this expression. I think we used a pita barrel, like one barrel last year, so it gives like a little hint of it. But this this is not gonna have that. Um, yeah, I don't want to bias you. If you want to start tasting, then I can kind of talk about it. But uh, you know, I'd rather like you guys could jump into yeah. it, and then we can kind of. So I could tell you what I taste, or you could tell you taste, and like. So Michael, um, off the nose, what do you have? I get more. I feel like it's more tropical on the nose i don't get any any smoke or oak i feel like i feel like it's going to be a lighter not a lighter flavor but uh, I've got, more of a, um, fruit, a fruity flavor yeah i've got a fruity we made fun of this a couple of weeks ago but like in different nostrils i get different notes and the left nostril i'm pouring, pulling more of the fruit i do get more of a caramelish oaky uh on on the right side um even yeah i can definitely pull more of the woody part of it out of that side um you can definitely tell it's been in barrels uh, for sure, but it doesn't have that normal sweetness. It's got more of a dry nose to me right off the bat. Have you sipped it yet, Mike? Yeah, I sipped it. I don't know if I get the dryness. That's what I, I think I'm surprised for and, a single one. I don't get and, the dryness. And saying, and I, I thought it's funny you're saying it's going to be light in flavor, and I'm like, this thing is a bomb of flavor. Yeah, so I've I've done that first <laughs> coat, I've done, and it's just an it's a bomb, like you just an explosion 
up front. Like I don't, I, I can't pinpoint a couple of different like one profile right away, and then it, and then it finishes out smooth. But yeah, it's a it's an explosion right away. So I get, I'm gonna call it coconutty. Uh, I think when you too. chew it, like when you chew it, like do that, you really get the, um, you get the malt whiskey scotch vibes a little bit. Like yeah. I get, I get that. Um, the sherry comes out, the creamy texture of the sherry. There's only one, maybe two sherry barrels in this blend, but it's it, it's there. You get that kind of yeah. creamy texturalness, that kind of vanilla frosting kind of note of sherry, but then the dryness. You get a ton mm-hmm. of the wine, ton of the red wine, Cabernet barrel. You can get that, that. That's on the nose. Particularly to me, I get the red wine and rum on the nose. That saccharine tropicalness could kind of be like turbinado sugar, kind of that kind of a dark brown sugar um, kind of note in the nose a little bit. Um, I have smelled fruity rums that can even kind of have this profile a little bit. But then the flavor, when the palate hits, it's it's an explosion of like fruit forward. If you like bourbon, I mean, it's like a ton of those kind of stone fruit mm. flavors. But then the yeah. texture, layers of textures. Um, I was really impressed with this one versus a few other ones. And it's it's a tasty bottle. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. I To me, this gives me, I know you mentioned you hadn't had it, Tyler, but we did um, a barrel vantage a couple of weeks ago. And then we just did a Middle West sherry cask finish. So it's going to have the sherryness to it. I kind of feel like those are down that same kind of path here. Um, and it's even got like... like if you brought those co- two together. Yeah, if you put those two together, just like to bring our listeners and viewers in like what I would describe it as. It's got more of a coconut oily um, coating to it too, right? It's It coats the mouth evenly to me. Uh, it's not thin by any means. Um, I think, and it ex- I think the wine is, I think that the wine in there is helping the coating too. I think that that's giving it a lot of legs and, and is giving that saccharine kind of quality mm-hmm. to it. Um, but again, almost like a sweet wine, there's no sweet wine finishes in this, but it almost comes across as like a, I don't know what do you call it? Like a really sweet wine of some kind of a, yeah, drawing a blank right now. I'm not like a huge church, wine church wine. Church, church wine. wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I got a Balcones. My buddy Chris Peel at Balcones sent me the Sautern cast single malt. And oh, wow. um, that's kind of what it reminds me of, like that sweet dessert wine kind of vibe mm-hmm. going on, but there's definitely no dessert wine barrels in it. It's just that whiny, saccharine um, wine qualities with the sweetness of rum. And then there's a really fun uh, cachaça barrel in there too, the South American rum. And I think that's adding a lot of that spicy character too, almost like a road note of rye very subtle but pepperiness floral pink peppercorn something i would get see i get out of this um you know spicy but like floral Mm -hmm. i just got like it reminded me of christmas like it wasn't necessarily cinnamony but it had like baking spice on the back oh yeah like nutmeg and yeah warming spices i wasn't expecting that and that was i mean i've gone through my port pretty quickly i usually do though (laughs) (laughs) because i'm constantly chewing yeah, I wish uh, we could have got away with a little higher proof. To be honest, I, I was drinking it at cast strength the, all the the trials we did, but mm-hmm. you know that's a that's a corporate level way above us down that we've got to kind of do hips. And I'm proof. assuming a lot of that is to expand the amount of production. That I just I think it's the tequila mindset because you got to think like Proximo Jose Cuervo is their bread and butter. So like yeah, it's kind of that it's that mindset of like 80 proof is kind of a you know a big standard for them, and so. 
it, it, it bleeds into the brands a little bit. I mean, we still mm-hmm. have Kestrick stuff, but just not our major releases are usually around 90, 94, 92. Um, Tin Cup even lower. You know, Tin Cup's like 80, 84, sometimes 90 mm-hmm. if it's dry. But um, it's still really good. I think, and honestly, the lower proof uh, accentuates the fruitiness. Like I, having it at cast strength a lot, it was really cool and, and beautiful. But then like, it just is really different. You know, you know, you guys know if you add a couple drops of water to your pores, right. sometimes it bloom and all those oils come out and it's a whole bouquet. But um, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think it's really nice at 90. I don't, I don't mind it at 90. Surprisingly, I wish it was higher, maybe like 95, 94, hundred even. But, Do you have uh, a range of your preferred pour? Like whether, you know, the, the snowflake or not, do you have a range from what you prefer? You, you prefer stuff now lower than this or no higher than this. What's your, what's your go-to range? Well, I don't like hazmat stuff. I got, you know, I got Elijah Craig bottles at home. I can't even drink that are like 140 and I'm like, eh. You know, I don't care how rough and tough you are and you choke down your, you know, fire water and call it smooth. But like, <laughs> I, I, I prefer, I like under one, like 120, like 120 to like 95 to 120, you know? Okay. I, that's that's, <laughs> about, that's about what we say we like here too, about that bottle and bond area, you know, 100. Yeah, and yeah 100 then, is, 100's know. a nice number. There's a lot of science to, um. 94 though that go back into like research studies and stuff so like i think 94 there was some there was a vodka study that was done in the 60s or 70s it's really interesting you have to look it up it's a scholar research article about vodka and from russian scientists that determined like the perfect proof of spirit was like 94 proof like there's some molecular level that it was a threshold above the um flocculation point and like you know, you'll still notice like chill filtered things. If they get cold or if they're low, you put all the water, they will cloud up. That's a that's a certain point threshold that 94 is above that. 90 is about right where you hit that. You have to chill filter below 90 or it's or it could cloud up. Hmm. Um, that's just molecular level. That's a certain amount of balance of equilibrium. But um, yeah, so yeah, Googling it, uh, Pappy 23 is 95. You'll notice most major players like to keep above, right above 94. It's a super, again, it's a common 92 to 95 is kind of a super like good range you want to be. Sorry, I'm just laughing because Michael's kids in the background. It's okay. Uh, don't worry about it, Mikey. I can edit it out. I'm writing it down. Um, <laughs> this is, you notice me mute all of a sudden, right? Real quietly. Uh, all but, right, guys. I'm sorry. I got to start wrapping it up. I, I, I want to do this again, though, because I really I thought this is fun. Yeah, for sure. We'll have you again uh, so I can start wrapping it up. Um, yeah, so. we'd love to hear what, of just what your experience and what's going on at the distillery today and such and this week or something. This has been fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I love we, hearing listen, the insides. What are you guys cause... doing right now? I love that. That's funny. <laughs> I love podcasting. Well, what's your like with your, your sales pitch right now? I mean, we got upcoming Diamond Peak release uh, scheduled for probably February. So that'll be a national rollout. That's going to be to extra Nejo tequila cask, finished Stranahan. Mm-hmm. Super good. Our, um, we, we basically tested out with the distiller exclusive the prior year. It's awesome. Super amount of flavor. Super cool. Like spicy vegetal, like, but floral, but really unique. Uh, and then um, King Alcastis in June. So that's a big one. If people are in Denver area, that's 
kind of an exclusive one day we bring in a bunch of vendors and it's a party and we're literally is that the day that we should circle on our map for a barrels and barrels uh outing barrels and stuff you know like we we have everyone set up at a different barrel station and we were thiefing into people's glasses like cast strength different finishes it's like kind of like a you know you you buy you get an entry for 60 bucks whatever it is and you get to try just cast strength whiskey all day um so that's cool uh, besides that, those are the major releases. This next Sherry Cask batch is going to come up real soon too. We got that bottling next month. Um, awesome. That's a national release too. So like things around the country, you'll see the Diamond Peak release coming up and um, uh, our next level of Sherry Cask, which is uh, it's batch like a five or something. I think I looked at it. Well, Tyler, we've enjoyed having you here on the podcast. As we've talked about, we're going to have to have you back because this has been great. Also, we didn't even really talk baseball. We didn't even get the I know, baseball. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Come back uh, and we'll talk, talk about, you know, growing up a Kirby Puckett fan or like, uh, you know, the being in the Chicago <laughs> World Series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll have to do that and some whiskey next time. Maybe we'll just do it in person, head out to Denver or something like that uh, That'd later be on. cool. Yeah, yeah. I've got great conference rooms here that are full of just, that would be fun. We could... We could borrow a real conference room for, you know, do a nice podcast there too. That would be fantastic. Be awesome. well, well, or in the barrel for... house, you know, we we'll go surround ourselves with 20,000 barrels and just. Oh, I'll <laughs> bring some extension cords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the guys' offices is in there. We could definitely sneak some. There's like an office in one of our warehouses. But well, um... we can... we'll have to talk about that. No, I didn't even get a tour either. Next time. Next time we'll do the. But um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Congratulations awesome. on being the first Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball podcast. But this time we went uh, Single Malt Whiskey uh, podcast, uh, our first guest and our first interview. So thank you, and we oh, appreciate yeah. the time, man. I appreciate it. Cheers. Yep. Sure, guys. Cheers. Take it easy, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And once again, we'd love to thank Tyler for joining us here on Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball podcast, our first official guest uh, on the show. That was really cool, wasn't it, Mike? That that was the he, what he was spitting out was so much more than I ever thought I knew about whiskey and bourbon and such. Yeah, and that's, um, the more I do this, and the more I'm on Instagram, the more I do reading, the less I feel like I know about this industry, about this business, and that's really fascinating. And I learned a ton. It t- it tastes good. <laughs> it's brown. It tastes good. It's sweet. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, big thank you to Tyler. We're going to have to have him on again. And uh, for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it. We are a bourbon and baseball podcast, but we're not just solely bourbon. We've done Rise. We've just now done our own single malt, the very first single malt. Um, I'm excited uh, to finally rate it now, right? Because we are a bourbon and baseball podcast that has a baseball-themed rating scale. So it's going to be hard, I think, because this doesn't fall on what our normal palettes are, but on our scale, which ranges from Hall of Famer right at the top down to All-Star, which is second on the list, Everyday Player, which you can find coming in at third, which is basically just someone that's going to be in your everyday lineup, bench player, and then ultimately a DFA, which means don't want it on my shelf, don't want it in my lineup, get out of here, get the out of here. You've been cut. You've been cut. Goodbye. Uh, on the baseball scale. Where do you rate this on our scale, Mikey? So, like, like you said, this is a not bourbon, which is what I my my palate really enjoys. What I enjoy, mm-hmm. um, so maybe this is barrels and barrels, a brown water and baseball podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but hey, this is this does not have the peatiness that you get out of non bourbon, you know, out of Irish whiskey, Scott, you know, single malts. 
Um, I had a single malt to compare it to real quick to side by side. And this guy right here has a nice explosion of flavor that I'm going to rate as an everyday player. If I could have a bottle of this on my shelf, I'd go to it often. Yeah, everyday player is right in line about right where I'm going to put this because it's fantastic. I wish I had a bottle on the backside for uh, an extra spare. Um, what's cool is this is a distillery exclusive, but that also makes it a limited time offer. And this is a one of a kind. So, or one of 3000 as Tyler mentioned earlier in the show, but, uh, I'm also going everyday player. Uh, the, the single malts that I've had, I've, I've found very divisive. I either really liked it or didn't like it at all. And this one's right up there as the best that I've had so far. So yeah, not that sure. I did dove in too deep into the american single malt category if you want to call this colorado colorado single malt whiskey because that's what's on the bottle uh but it is american well, single he was malt. calling it he, yeah he yeah, was yeah. calling it american single i'm malt. just saying because it, they call it a colorado single american single malt mm. because it's made in colorado but yes it's an american single malt uh very good uh i know it, most of our listeners won't get a chance um, to try this, what we will do is we'll probably have something down the line where we do a giveaway, uh, give out a sample of this because I really think you guys would enjoy this. I know some people uh, out in Colorado who did wait in line for this, so awesome. Props to you. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'm going to rate this an everyday player as well. Uh, very good, and I learned a ton today, and I, I hope that – I know you did, Mikey, but for sure. I hope everybody else was, listening is. Open. And, um it's really interesting. Gonna- Let us know your favorite part, what you thought was the most intriguing of it, of what Tyler had to spit out there, because he spit out a lot there. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to pinpoint it. I, I would say my favorite part was just like learning the processes that go into not just this bottle, but the single malt in general. But this bottle is so crazy that it's 10 different barrels, and they remarried it and then put it back into a barrel, which was very interesting to me rather than just blending it in a container and then bottling it they blended it put them in 14 different bottle of ba- uh, barrels or was it 12 he said 12 or 14 right and yeah uh, yeah 12 14 and then chose only 10 of those so like what happened to the rest of that juice like i, I wish i would have asked him that and for those of you listening tyler also has a family and he had prior obligations he had to attend but uh, we want to give him a big shout out and a big thank you uh, for his yeah, time, that was so much fun. Uh, we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to go out to Colorado, go catch a Rockies game, and uh, do a, a podcast live. See some homers. Yeah, see some home runs. And we didn't even get to talk baseball with them too, because off camera and off recording, we were talking baseball. We were talking about life. And um, I've known Tyler a while. I think I met him back in May. It was probably 2014 or 15. So it was before the Cubs and I think it was the week that Ernie Banks died. Actually, it was, I think the day oh. that Ernie Banks died is when I met Tyler. Uh, R.I.P. Ernie. Let's play too. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so I've known Tyler a while. We haven't talked as much in recent years as we did earlier on, but uh, uh, it was really cool. It was really cool to catch up with him. We're going to have to do this again. But uh, yeah, we popped our uh, sherry on interviews. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh i mean that was fantastic that was a fantastic uh pun there but oh i felt that one i felt pretty proud of myself on that one if i'm honest if i'm honest 
that was that was pretty good. But uh, that has been another episode of Barrels and Barrels, the Bourbon and Baseball podcast. We again want to thank each and every one of you who have listened, who have watched, chimed in on YouTube, Facebook, uh, whatever it is. We appreciate you. You can find us on Instagram as always above our video on YouTube. You can see I am at whiskey underscore weather. Michael at BNB underscore Burns. That's where you can find us on Instagram as people. As far as a podcast, that is barrels. As people? <laughs> that is barrels, the letter N, barrels pod on Instagram as well as Facebook and YouTube. You can find us on Twitter, barrels and barrels. And then Gmail is where you can email us, barrels and barrels at gmail.com. Uh, I do want to shout out real quick uh, Keith from the Bourbon Thieves. You can find him at New England Whiskey. He said that uh, he was listening, and we said that we'd send a sticker out to anyone who emailed us. But he said we didn't put the email in the uh, in the podcast. I know we did, but if we didn't, oh, you idiots! Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a sticker, um, Keith. But if you're listening to this still and you want a sticker, reach out to us barrels and barrels at gmail.com. Michael's holding it up there on YouTube for you. Uh, we'll gladly get you one in the mail uh, and talk to you about that as well. So thank you for listening to Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball podcast, our first interview in the books. Hopefully we have some more down the line. It's been fun. It's been great. Michael, any last words? Nope. Let's go. Let's go.